and, uh, and, and happy Easter. What, what a special occasion. What a wonderful service it's been so far. I just want to, I actually just want to pause for a moment to thank some people. Um, how about the choir? Wasn't that uh, spine tingling? Thank you to all of them. Uh, all our band, Ellie, who just sang. Uh, thanks uh, also to AJ for um, his, uh, his part in the service this morning. That was brilliant, right? Uh, no, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, we might have to change safety officers, though. I'm not sure. No, that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, wonderful. But I also want to say thanks to our, our fabulous staff because many of them have actually worked through the weekend, this holiday weekend. Uh, Luke, particularly. Uh, Dan's been busy fixing our live stream issues from last week. Apologies that we went offline last week. The podcast of last Sunday sermon is available through our podcast if you missed it. Um, it just won't be on YouTube, unfortunately. But thanks to those guys, to AJ, for others who've been working uh, through the weekend to put this together because it is such an important day on the Christian calendar and uh, they're, they're just a bunch of hugely committed people. So thanks to them all. Thanks also to Julie for reading so beautifully this morning and everyone else who's played a, a key part of the service. Well, it's, uh, it's right and proper that we celebrate this morning the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and if you're visiting and uh, you don't identify as a person of faith, then um, we're pleased that you're here and, and I hope you feel welcome in our midst um, as those of us who do follow Jesus celebrate this, this really important time and maybe something in the service is, is helpful to you all the same. But I actually want to take a few step backs now, steps back now uh, as we bring this series that we've been on for the last six, seven weeks to a close today and as, we, as I try and kind of land this plane. And I want to talk about unfulfilled expectations. Uh, as we've pointed out a few times in this series, the death of Jesus, which we celebrated or commemorated, perhaps a better word, on Good Friday, dashed the hopes and expectations of his first followers. And as we heard, even in the passage uh, from Luke's telling of the Jesus story today, the disciples had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But, as they say to this stranger on the road to Emmaus, but the chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they, that is the Romans, crucified him. In other words, the disciples' dreams and expectations had died with Jesus. And it left them downcast, dispirited and disillusioned. Their high hopes had come crashing down as we've talked about earlier in this series. And for these disciples, even after the resurrection of Jesus, they were still downcast. Even on this day of celebration, on this side of the resurrection, maybe you too can relate to the pain and disappointment of unfulfilled expectations. A dream which died an expectation unrealized, perhaps even a, a paradise lost. But as we journey through life, we carry with us these expectations and aspirations, some of which we articulate, but some of which we, we barely even realize that we carry 
until we find them under threat. When you're young, you likely expect or at least hope that one day you'll, you'll get married or, or maybe you expect you won't. Maybe you hope you won't. But you carry some sort of an expectation in that space. And even today, most people do get married and often they then expect to have a family, watch their kids grow up, finish school, start a job, maybe marry and bring grandkids into the world. So many places that can go wrong, right? Certainly it it went askew for uh, Lou and me, as it does for many these days. Far too many, unfortunately. But today is not about me. But just in case you can relate to our story, we, we didn't expect ever to have any trouble starting a family. We knew some people did, but we just didn't know it would be us. We'd been reading all the books, Baby Wise, Parenting for Dummies, What to Expect When You're Not Expecting, the Classics. Uh, But then we found that actually what we needed was a book of a different title. What to expect when you're not expecting. There is actually a book by this title now. There wasn't then, but there is now. It was too good a line to miss, obviously, for a publisher. Curveball. Life didn't go to plan. Unmet expectations. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you're now where we were then, or you have been, or you know someone who is or has been. It can be a pretty painful, lonely place to be. And just let me say while we're on this topic, we're really for families here at Newvine. As you can see again this morning, we love kids. We love involving kids. We love having kids as part of our family, watching them grow and thrive and flourish here in our midst. But if you can't have kids or you've chosen not to have kids, if you never marry, or uh, your expectations and hopes in that space are unmet, you are still so welcome and loved here. Families come in all shapes and sizes, including the size of one or two. So you are welcome in our midst. And by the way, let me just say, with Mother's Day coming up in a couple of weeks, If that's you, you can have a leave pass for Mother's Day. We will be celebrating our mums and the mums in our midst. But if it's too hard a day for you to be here, that's okay. Take a break. Or come and let us love on you a little bit. Well, it's not everyone's outcome who finds themselves in that place. But eventually, as you've probably guessed, uh, we did fall pregnant and our beautiful uh, Bethany was born. And we were overjoyed, 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 third time lucky there, I got it out. But then another curveball, some missed milestones, medical appointments, MRIs, pediatric assessments, a diagnosis, a disability. To be precise, cerebellar hyperplasia, I couldn't even say it, let alone spell it back then. In the genetic lottery of life, a tiny switch forgot to flick. Something else we hadn't seen coming. Once again, unrealised expectations, unmet hopes and dreams. Except in this case, we had to dig a little deeper. Because we had to try to articulate what those expectations were. We had to eyeball them and learn to let them go and grieve them. In the midst of every day being absolutely grateful for who our beautiful 
irrepressibly joyful uh, two-year-old at the time is precisely as she is. But that's our story. What about your story? It could be very different. But maybe you too have your own unrealized expectations. If you don't, they will probably come at some stage. Because life doesn't always go to plan. Or even often go to plan. And like life, God doesn't always play according to our game plan. God doesn't always fulfill the expectations that we have. As Mr. Beaver explains of Aslan the lion to the children in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he isn't safe. He can't be tamed, but he is good. And the disciples discovered on Good Friday and found again to their surprise that God doesn't always meet our expectations. We're not going to go over that whole passage. It was a long reading this morning. Thank you, Julie. Uh, it was a marathon reading and you did it beautifully. So we're not going to go from uh, go to woe, but we are going to go in reverse from woe to go. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 13 briefly of Luke. Sorry, verse 13 of chapter 24 in Luke. And a four-word summary of this passage might be something like this. Woe, show, wait, go. Now, even if this story is new to you, you may have got a hint from Julie's reading of it this morning that the writer of this account, Luke, is a master storyteller. This, is part of the pas- this part of the passage has it all. Suspense, irony, drama, twists, and an expert use of the literary device of audience omniscience. That is, the audience can see what's happening, but the characters themselves remain oblivious. And like any good suspense story, it centres on the unexpected. It starts with two disciples, Cleopas and another, maybe his wife, Mary. We don't have time to chase that rabbit down the burrow today. But there are two disciples, one of whom is named. Whoever the second disciple is, they're walking a seven-mile stint from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, we don't know precisely where ancient Emmaus was these days, but it's not important. What we do know is that these two disciples were in intense discussion about the recent events. The Greek here uh, can signify that they were debating or in a, a deep discussion. And Jesus joins them on the journey and somewhat mysteriously... Maybe he was wearing a hoodie or something. Why ever? They were kept from recognizing him, Luke says. Now, for some reason, it seems that Jesus wants to walk them through the scriptures that point to him before they realize it's him. It seems like there are lessons to learn before they're blindsided by his return. So not yet knowing precisely what has happened to the body of their crucified king, the disciples were downcast and dispirited. In fact, as the commentator Daryl Bock writes, for these disciples, hope had been buried in the tomb provided by Joseph. Jesus asks them what they're discussing, and we can see both incredulity and irony in Cleopas's question 
Are you the only one who hasn't seen the news today? Of course, we know, as the reader, that Jesus was the news that day. But the problem here isn't that they don't recognize Jesus. The problem is their entire expectations about him were wrong. They thought that Jesus' crucifixion had foiled their plans. The one who should have beaten the pagans was beaten by them. To them, that meant that God had not delivered on their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations and their expectations. What they failed to see was that the crucifixion was precisely how Jesus was redeeming his people and indeed the entire world. The irony here is so thick that we as the readers, we want to kind of yell at them across the pages and across the ages, tell him to take his hoodie off. Look, it's him. Can't you see? But of course, he remains hidden to them at this stage. So still hidden, he chastises the disciples lovingly, I'd like to think. Come on, team. Don't you think maybe your expectations about this fellow were all wrong? So he begins to show them for their own beloved, from their own beloved Bible, the Hebrew part, the rest was still a work in progress at this stage, how those very scriptures anticipated all of this, how they are the backstory to his main story, as surprising as it was, fulfilled now in the crucifixion and resurrection. Luke doesn't say, but very likely, he refers to texts like Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham, Deuteronomy 18.15, the promise to raise up a prophet like Moses, Psalms 2.7, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 110.1, Psalm 118, the list goes on. And from the prophets, books like Daniel, and especially, I think we could say, from Isaiah 52 and 53 in the Old Testament, our Old Testament today, the Hebrew Scriptures, where Isaiah foretells a suffering servant who would take up our pain, bear our suffering, be pierced for our transgressions and be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And yet, who, after he has suffered, would see again the light of life, as Isaiah writes, and through his righteousness justify, justify or make right again many. Just as a side point, all this suggests that Perhaps they, they hadn't been reading their scriptures rightly. And maybe there's also a lesson there for us today. Perhaps that's, do we need to read our scriptures with a new openness to the Spirit, but also with an eye to the big story? All too often, can I suggest, we read the Bible piecemeal, a verse here and a passage there, looking for what bits might sort of speak to me in my morning devotion or something. And that's fine, but maybe we miss something when we don't read it in a way which pieces together that big story that it tells. And so starting about July, we're going to revisit that big story in a new series to put the jigsaw pieces together of how, in the words of Tim and John from the Bible Project, the Bible tells a unified story which points to Jesus. And actually we're going to go a little bit further and we're going to connect it to a, a campaign that hopefully will help all of us connect with our community. Watch this space, but it's going to be kind of fun, I think. That's in July. But back to the main game. 
Intrigued by their new understanding of the big story, the two disciples beg this stranger, not stranger guy to stay with them as they share their evening meal. And it's as Jesus sits at the table, breaks bread and blesses it, that all of a sudden they can now see not just God's plan, but God's man. Indeed, the God-man. Not just what the scriptures foretold, but that the fulfillment of that foretelling was right in front of them, sharing their table and breaking their bread. And then as unexpectedly as he had appeared, Jesus disappears. With their heads still spinning and their hearts still brimming, they turn tail and set sail back to Jerusalem, seven long miles back, I'm sure it was, at night. But clearly they couldn't wait to, to bring this breaking news about what had happened to their missing Messiah, to their friends, the other apostles and disciples. Uh, they wanted to tell them, as we uh, said earlier uh, and say in this part, this time of year, that he was up and about. But when they find the apostles and others, they themselves are met with equally unexpected news. It's true, they're told, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon Peter. Perhaps it's worth pausing for a moment just to imagine how that must have felt. The excitement, the wonder, mixed with just a little bit of bewilderment still, but the sheer unexpectedness of it all. And just as the the room is buzzing with this wonder. The God-man of the moment himself comes among them. Perhaps knowing uh, that that might still come as something of a shock, he says, peace be with you or shalom. But it's still all too much for some. Is this real? Should we call the Ghostbusters? Did someone meddle with the mushrooms on their post-Passover pizza? But Jesus lowers their blood pressure by letting them see and feel that he's the real deal, flesh and bones, complete with a fully operative digestive system. And then he does what he did with the disciples on the road earlier. He goes back through the scriptures with a kind of what you should have been expecting when you weren't expecting of his own, particularly highlighting three things. That he had to suffer, that he then would rise. And while this phase of his mission is accomplished, their part in Project Faith, Hope and Love is just beginning. And while he doesn't provide them with a book, a manual as such, hasn't been written yet, he does provide guidance for what they should do next based on what God had done as unexpected as it was. And he gives them these instructions. Firstly, they're to be his witnesses to all these unexpected things, his crucifixion, his resurrection and its implications. Also, they were to, to preach and practice what he taught, beginning in their own backyard in Jerusalem. And knowing that it's a walk of faith, but won't be a walk in the park, they are to wait for the Spirit's help. I think it's particularly telling here in his instructions to them that they wait to receive the, the Spirit. It suggests that Jesus knows that their work won't be easy. It's not something they can tackle on their own. After all, his work had ended on a cross, as it would for some of them too. So the disciples in this moment go from Mathite to Martires, 
that is from disciples to witnesses. But witnesses, we know, are those willing and sometimes called to give their lives for testimony to the truth. This is where we get the word martyr from in our English language. It's actually a, the Greek word which sits behind witness in our New Testament text. And indeed, the challenge and difficulty of the disciples' work would need divine power, probably for a number of reasons. For courage to fortify them in the face of opposition, the capacity to cope with what will come, but also the capacity to preach, teach, heal, endure with effectiveness in their ministry, which lies ahead of them. Courage, capacity, and also currency in their relationship with Christ. That is ongoing connection to Jesus so that they minister out of the ongoing presence, peace, and power of Christ himself through the Spirit. And as Daryl Bock, the commentator, writes, Though Luke here is concluding his gospel, the real story is beginning. Ahead is the disciples' empowerment through the bestowal of the Spirit so that they can carry out their call on behalf of God. Beyond that is the mission to proclaim to the world what they have experienced and understood. Jesus had ministered to them to prepare them for this time. Now it's nearly time to go. Training camp is over and a long season of ministry lies ahead. And then according to our master storyteller, Jesus and his now happier campers cross over the Mount of Olives, probably through the olive grove of Gethsemane, which maybe was pause for thought for them all. Towards Bethany, the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, and the place after whom our own Bethany is named. The place that Jesus had dwelt while visiting Jerusalem, and now the place from which he ascends to the Father. He had died for love and was raised to life, to raise us and our world again also on the day he returns. Just a note on how the book of Luke finishes, not just with the ascension, but with joyful disciples worshipping together. Praise and thanksgiving for this amazing unexpected turn of events from an amazing expectation-defying God. And the disciples turned witnesses continue to gather together, in this case at the temple, because the life of following Jesus is a team effort, not a solo effort. Gathering in worship fuels our going in witness and our love for Jesus and his world. Well, that brings us back to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Both, as it turns out, celebrate unexpected events, an unexpected dashing of dreams, but just for a few days because of an unexpected resurrection from the dead. Both of which together launched a revolution. A revolution of faith we can be full of, of hope we can hold on to, and a love 
that we can live for. And the question then, as we wrap up this series, and forgive me again if you've just joined us today for this very last part of it, but the question is, well, how then shall we live? On Friday, we talked about our post-pandemic bucket lists, those things that we hope or aspire to achieve in life. And we said on Friday that if we review our bucket lists in light of Good Friday and the immense love of God for us and our world demonstrated on the cross, in view of his plans to renew creation, to bring about a new creation in the midst of the old creation, his plans to bring an end to the suffering and violence and war and conflict and grieving and loss and unfulfilled expectations of our world today, then it may just cause us to rethink what goes at the top of our bucket list. Because God has a way of showing up and turning things on their head. And because the love of God is not just a love to die for, but also a love to live for. And maybe today is a day when God is showing up and turning things on their heads. Maybe today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is a day to rethink what's on our bucket list. This time last year, Lou and I were not expecting that I'd be leading the church. And it's an incredible community of people. Uh, and incredible staff. That's you guys, by the way. Uh, Being a pastor just wasn't on my game plan. It meant giving some things up, letting some things go, and learning a whole bunch of new things as well. But it turns out that after all these years, God is still throwing us curveballs in life. Well, how about you? Perhaps God is calling you today to something unexpected, a path you hadn't planned to walk, a career choice or change that you hadn't planned to make, to give something up or to start something new, to let something go or to start a new cause, to reorder your things on that bucket list because as the hymn we sang on Friday finishes, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. Well, through this series, we have looked at why the world seems to be losing faith and hope to some extent, and why, to some extent at least, that might even be expected in view of the current state of the world. We also heard about a God, though, who unlike humans who aspire to God-like glory and power, surrenders the power and glory, descends into the dirt and chooses to become a servant, submitting himself even to a humiliating and tortuous death so as to love us and our world back to himself. We also saw the fact that the fact there is even a Christian faith at all today, 2,000 years later, and even a record let alone a detailed record told four times over with a whole bunch of supporting documents, is something unexpected. Jesus, who died the death of a criminal 
on a cross amongst thousands of other criminals on crosses or put to the sword in the Roman Empire should have just been a footnote in history. But somehow, something happened that defied all expectations. We also saw that the fact that the disciples were transformed almost overnight from downcast, disappointed, dispirited followers of a dead and buried Messiah wannabe to men and women of unshakable, life-stakeable faith, unquenchable hope, and empire-transforming good deeds and good news also defies expectations. We saw how the high hopes of humanism and other human or tech-centered aspirations are fatally flawed because they don't confront the challenge of the fickle and fallen human heart. But we also heard rumors of a revolution of hope based on the unexpected way that God in Jesus has taken the reins again and is at work to restore both people and the planet on which they live by putting a deadline on death itself and a timeline to end all war, all hunger, all suffering, all violence, all tears, and all mourning. And we saw that all this was based unexpectedly on the love of a God whom we understand most closely on the cross and in the empty grave. So, what's on your post-Easter bucket list? Maybe today as we end this series, God is calling us to put some of our previous expectations of life aside and to dream anew as disciples of Jesus. William Carey, the, the Baptist founder of Modern Missions, once said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I think in view of the cross and the resurrection and the experience of early disciples and perhaps your experience and mine, I, I just want to modify that a little to mess with it just a bit. And I haven't quite got it right yet, but maybe it goes something like this. Expecting the unexpected from God. What great things should I attempt for God? But the point is this. What great things might God be calling you to do in view of the cross, the resurrection, and the kingship of Jesus? How might you join the revolution launched on Easter Sunday just under 2,000 years ago? Perhaps John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher and humanitarian. I've got the old guys coming out today, haven't I? Gosh, not quite as old as Aristotle from Friday, but they're probably starting to look at but John Wesley may help us out a little bit here when he says, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. I'm in a kind of editing mood today, so I'm going to add just a little bit. Oh, and along the way, share the good news as well as you can, because by the Spirit of Christ, whatever your experience, whatever your age, whatever unmet expectations life has dealt you, by the Spirit of God, 
You can. By the way, that is not John Wesley. Um, <laughs> so again, forgive me from returning to the question, but what might all of this look like for you and I today? Maybe you're still reeling from or feeling the sting of unfulfilled expectations or the pain of unexpected twists and turns in your life. But the God who can turn a cross into a crown, Good Friday into Resurrection Sunday, dead and buried Messiah into the living Lord of all the earth, reigning over presidents and parliaments, chief priests and chief executives, can still take your situation and do something unexpected. The question is, what might that be? But a word of warning. Jesus never said it would be easy. He never said being his witnesses might not mean ending up his martyrs. He never said the path that he'd call you to walk wouldn't be full of potholes or that there wouldn't be twists and turns. And maybe following Jesus will take unexpected turns down dark alleys. Maybe it could even ask of you your life as it did for many of those early followers of Jesus and others throughout history. But giving your life for Christ happens in an instant. Living your life for Christ takes a lifetime. So for many of us, more challenge than giving your life for Christ is living your life for Christ. Because that means every day in the big and small decisions and actions and attitudes of life that we make and take, we decide to be Jesus' disciples. If you've seen the musical Hamilton, musical, did I say that right? Musical Hamilton, set during the American War of Independence, you'll recall the line that then General George Washington uses to admonish the passionate, idealistic young Alexander Hamilton. Anyone know where I'm going? Hearing the song? Dying is easy, son. Living is harder. But as the cross and resurrection In those things, God has shown us a love unequaled, unsurpassed, a love to die for, a love so amazing, so divine, a love to live for. Three questions as we sort of close this out. Is there an unexpected thing that God is asking you to do today? Maybe that's a question you want to take some time to reflect on. Maybe it's a question you can wait on with God to hear his Holy Spirit. Secondly, and these are kind of different ways of coming at the same thing, but no matter what age or stage you're at, what's the greatest thing that you can dream of doing for God with whatever God gives you? Whether you're 7, 17, 37 or 77 or 97. What's the greatest thing that you can yet dream of to do for God? And thirdly, what would a bucket list that lives for love look like for you? Many of us have things on our bucket list or our mental to-do list in life, things that kind of try to leave a legacy, things that want to leave 
something behind. Some of it, the legacy is kind of uh, to do with money, how much is in our will when we go. Some of us want to leave a legacy by writing books, singing songs, becoming a social media lifestyle influencer. But in the words of that beautiful song which Ellie sang for us earlier, all the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into dust when all is said and done. Because all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And I've only got one life to live. So I'll let every second point to him. Only Jesus. But a word of warning. Expect the unexpected. Amen. Music team's going to come up. While they do, looking ahead in the next month or so, uh, my family and I are heading off uh, for some much-needed family time for the next couple of weeks. No sermons to prepare or people to lead, uh, so we're having a bit of a break. But then in two weeks' time, Luke and Isaac will kick off a four-week series in which, among other things, they will look to tease out some more of the practical applications from this eight-part series that I've been preaching. So it's all been a bit too theoretical at times. Luke and Isaac to the rescue. Uh, by the way, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, again, just a reminder, you could go back and find most of them on YouTube. Just Google New Vine online, uh, New Vine Church online, uh, or one of them at least is, uh, is only available on podcast. But next week, we have a guest preacher in our very own, uh, well, formerly own Michaela Hodge, home from the UK, um, Nigeria or Nigeria via the UK. Kay and her husband John are uh, global partners. They run a peace building ministry called Seek Peace. And let me really encourage you to be here to hear Michaela speak next week. And I will see you in May. God bless and let the Holy Spirit speak to you this week as you wait for his power and guidance on how you can live for love this week and in your lifetime. Amen. Amen.